But anyway, Lord, as we pray tonight over the word of the Lord, we bring this time under the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We love you. We bless you. And Father, we ask you tonight as we are going to get into the word of God, Lord, I ask you that by the precious Holy Spirit, you would help us to really get locked in and focused to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus tonight in every way, that we're not distracted by anything, but our hearts and minds are just tuned in, that we'd be good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit help us to just capture our, our minds and our hearts to really uh, be able to have eyes and ears of the Spirit and get everything out of this Word that is your will. Lord, anoint our eyes and our ears. Give us vision. Give us ears to hear and lord i pray that the word of god go out from me as your holy spirit speaks through me the words of life and will be as the parable of the seed and sower be as living seeds of truth that's sown out into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and water by the precious holy spirit and take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains fruit that will abide in people's lives lord and that this word will go out and it will be as a washing of the water of the word Lord, the word of the Lord going out, it will be as light shining, dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy, and bring truth, and bring revelation, bring insight. And Lord, let this go out, and let the winds of the Spirit carry this every place it needs to go, and it's going to accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. Lord, I thank you for this. We, we pray, based on the parable of Christ, that the birds of the air try to steal the seed, so we take authority and we bind everything of the devil that would try to hinder this word right now in Jesus' name. We break its power and we bind it and we commit to back off. But Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. And it's going to be like a shining light that dispels all the darkness, lies, evil deception, brings truth and revelation. Let this go forth and be blessed of you as you promise your word will go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do in Jesus' name. We thank you for it and we bless you. Amen. All right, I'm going to get into the word tonight, and the word of the Lord that God has for tonight has to do with heaven's culture. So I'm going to ask people, if you would, just as little moving around as possible and help me to be able to preach this tonight as we get really focused on the word of God. All right, this is part 16 in the Mikdash series. And Mikdash means sanctuary. So this is... Um, I'm going to deal with heaven's culture tonight. All right, so as many of you guys know, wherever you go in the world, there's a lot of different cultures. Don't you really hear what I'm saying tonight? Give me your best ear because I think that this will be something that will really be enlightening to people. But I'm speaking on heaven's culture because all over the world, there's a lot of different cultures. If you and I were to go, for example, to Africa, um, there's a way that people dress there many times, and there's a, there's a, a cultural language. Um, there's the ways of that culture. And, you know, there's a lot of good, but there's also, unfortunately, in Africa, um, a lot of witchcraft. And obviously, that's not good. Um, anywhere you go in the world, if we were to go to Asian countries, and some beautiful, uh, you know, I've seen some wedding photos and things that are really beautiful in Asian countries. The you can see the way the houses are built, and, and I know in the Japanese culture, you, you, you sit on the floor when you eat, things like that. There's a lot of things that are very different than our culture. There's, there's a lot of good. It's really beautiful. But there's also 
um, some paganism that's mixed in a lot of times. Uh, the worship of the dragon, there's, there's Buddhism in a lot of places, things like that. And I think about India. I think about some of the, the beautiful things I've seen about India. And the Taj Mahal is just gorgeous. And, and there's some wonderful people. I've you know, met some people from India. It's just sweet and precious. As a matter of fact, we have Pastor John Paul come minister, if you guys remember. Uh, he's from India. He's an awesome man of God. But unfortunately, it, you know, there's a lot of culture there. But unfortunately, also, Hinduism is blended in to the culture. And so the Hinduism aspect, obviously, is not good. But everywhere we go, if I was to take you and to another part of the world and thrust you into that culture, you would experience what's called like a culture shock because so much is different. Even though, even though some of it may not be bad, it's just simply different from what you're used to. Even the sense of humor, even the lingo, a lot of things could be very different than what you're familiar with. In the same way, to follow me in this in the same way spiritually speaking there's a lot of different cultures and you really have to be careful about this and I'll, I'll explain it as we go but just like for example if you have in a region here in the south you know we have predominantly warmer weather than up north and there's a lot less snowfall but if you were to take down in San Antonio, there's a lot of palm trees and, and things that, that are linked to the atmosphere that's there in San Antonio because of the humidity and the fact it never really gets freezing there, especially for any period of time at all. There's plant life. There's things that survive there. But if you were to put that up north, it would die. And spiritually speaking, in a lot of places that we go, there's an atmosphere that is there. And because of the spiritual climate, the spiritual atmosphere that's there, there are certain things that may live and certain things that may die in that atmosphere. Y'all follow me? There's also a culture. And in that culture of wherever this is, whatever ministry, whatever church, whatever, that culture, there are certain things that are going to be acceptable and certain things that aren't. And the problem is, is that sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. So as we go down through this sermon tonight, what I want to deal with is I want to go back to heaven's culture. And just like tonight, I asked you guys to pay attention to certain things. And as I minister tonight, you're going to see more of where I'm coming from with that and why I told you to pay attention to it during this service. But there is a heavenly atmosphere and there's also a heavenly culture. Now, Hebrews 8.1, let me just go through this. The Bible says, now the main point in what has been said is this. So I'm on page one if you want to follow the notes, Hebrews 8.1. Now, the main point in what I said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle. Now, pay attention to these words because I'm talking about mikdash. I'm talking about a sanctuary of God's presence in this series and notice he said here in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched not man for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices so it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer now if he were on earth 
he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things did everybody catch that it's a copy a shadow of heavenly things just as moses was warned by god that he was about to erect the tabernacle for see the lord says that you make it according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry talking about jesus by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises but i want you to notice that what moses brought down from sinai was a revelation of things that he was shown that was heavenly and he got revelation about the heavenly tabernacle and the heavenly things of God that he could bring down and replicate on the earth. This is really important in what I'm talking about tonight. Because I'm talking about an atmosphere of heaven, but I'm also talking about a culture, heaven's culture. All of us have... We've grown up predominantly, all of us here, have grown up in America, so we're used to the way things are in America. And we don't realize it, but how our minds have come into agreement with this culture around us. I'm not talking about the things of God, I'm talking about our culture. All of us were raised in families. We were told a lot of different things, and we were raised a certain way, and there was an atmosphere in that home and there is a, a culture there. The bottom line at the end of the day, when we come to Christ and we are born again and we enter into a blood covenant with God, we are now adopted into his family. And God is wanting us to renew our minds. He's wanting us to learn his ways. And he's wanting us to begin to come into agreement with heaven's culture, his culture. And learn his ways and what pleases him. And Satan has worked from the early church. He really fought tremendously, especially in the rise of um, Constantine around 300 AD. And through the rise of Roman Catholicism, an institutionalized organization, you know, that, that began to really persecute the true believers that went underground. But Satan has worked tremendously down through the ages to steal as much as he can from the body of Christ. How many knows Jesus taught us Satan has come to what? Steal. Steal, kill, and destroy, but to steal. And Satan has stolen so much. Now, Acts 3.21, this is an interesting verse. It says, whom heaven must receive. It's talking about Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. And so Jesus is going to remain in heaven until everything is restored like it's supposed to be and the fullness of time comes for him to return. And so that plays into everything that the devil has stolen from the church, God is going to restore back. And one of the greatest you know desires of my heart as a minister and this goes way back for me is i want true biblical book of acts christianity 
Because you can go to a lot of different places, and I'm certainly not against anybody, but you can go to a lot of different, whether it's denominations or groups of people, and there's a certain atmosphere there, and there's also a certain culture. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's culture. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it pleases the Lord. And sometimes when people come into a new culture they've never been in, they have that culture shock, a reality check. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? And so in other words, people that have been saved, they might have been saved their whole life and grown up in a certain environment, a certain atmosphere, a certain culture, but when they actually walk into the atmosphere of heaven and they, they, they are thrust into a situation of heaven's culture, it is such a culture shock for them. It's hard for them at first to be able to understand that this is actually biblical. And so I'm going to go down through some things tonight I found really interesting. The first thing is the Mishkan. That is the word used for the tabernacle in Hebrew. Um, the tabernacle of Moses was about, not the tent itself, but the whole, the outer court, was about the size of half of an NFL football field. 50-yard line and it was a big rectangle and inside that outer court area which we have a diagram up it on, on the wall I keep a picture up at the tabernacle but there was a tent and in this tent it had two compartments one was the holy place and the other was the holy of holies the holy of holies was where the ark was and this was a place that God told Moses you make sure that you replicate what you've seen what is in heaven, what was revealed to you, you're going to replicate that. Make sure that you do it according to the pattern that was shown to you. Heavenly things are going to be replicated in the earth. And it's interesting because you see that even in the book of Revelation. Whenever um, John was taken up into heaven, he saw a lampstand. He saw a menorah in heaven. You hear what I'm saying? He saw that there was bowls of incense in heaven. In the sea of glass, many have connected that with the laver that's in the tabernacle. But under this, the Mishkin, the tabernacle of Moses, 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And so for you and I to understand, see, the writers of the New Testament take it for granted that people should already know the Old Testament. Peter doesn't go here and put a big giant parenthesis and say, well, let me explain this to everybody who's never read the Bible in their life about what a tabernacle and what a priesthood is and then spend three chapters on that to come back and make his point. He just kind of figured everybody already knew. And that's the way a lot of the writers in the New Testament is they just assume that we already know the Old Testament because see the New Testament um, is the fulfillment of the old. The mindset of ripping out the old and throwing it away was something that, it, that is a horrible deception in a lot of places. But for us to understand what Peter's saying that we are a chosen people but a royal priesthood, you have to go back to what is he talking about? He's talking about the tabernacle of Moses. He's talking about a priesthood. But now it is a priesthood that's fulfilled in Christ. To offer up spiritual sacrifices pleasing to the Lord. So let me go to this diagram of the tabernacle of Moses. And let's walk through it briefly. I can't spend a lot of time. I preach series on these. So if you're interested in more of this, you can look up our series on it. 
It's on our website. But the diagram of the Tabernacle of Moses. Start to the right where you see the eastern gate. The tabernacle of Moses in every way reveals Jesus Christ. And everything about it, every dimension, everything that is in that tabernacle, every skin that's laid over the tent, every dimension of every piece of furniture, all of it has meaning, symbolism, and it is fulfilled in Christ. It's an awesome study. I do not have time to get into it. I literally could preach about 10 series on this. But I'm just going to give you a cursory view. So starting at the eastern gate, when you went in, I want you just to follow me tonight on this journey. When you went into the tabernacle of Moses, you would walk toward it and there was this, this big fence that was linen white that went all the way around the tabernacle. The only way in was that eastern gate. And that gate was a big curtain that was split in two that had four different colors, blue, purple, scarlet, and the, and the white linen. And the blue, now you got to understand, this gate was the only way in. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. You know what the gate is? It's the gospel. The pure gospel. Not that every road leads to God, because it don't. The only road that's going to lead to God is through Jesus. It's the gospel. And so people that are willing to preach the true gospel, this is the only way, you understand, this is not a popular message anymore. The only way that you're going to get into heaven is getting things right with Jesus. It's the cross. It's the blood. And this is, this is the preaching of that gate. This is the only way into this tabernacle. You want to get into God's presence? You've got to go through the gate. And Jesus said people try to come another way as a thief and a robber. But anyway, those that come through the gate, the blue speaks of the gospel of John the son of God coming down from heaven the purple speaks of the the king of kings Matthew presenting him as the king of the Jews the white speaks of the the son of man that's pure and and and, and clean before God righteous and this is um, obviously the the book of Luke and then you have the red which speaks of the suffering savior revealed in Mark but this is the gospel once you get beyond the gospel people have heard the gospel now you begin to preach about the cross and what Jesus did. This is, as you go from right to left, you see the altar of burnt offerings. That altar of burnt offerings was bronze, and bronze speaks of judgment. And it was a big rectangle, and they had a grate, and they'd have a fire under it, and, and they would take the animal sacrifices that came in and cut them into five pieces and sprinkle their blood around the altar, and they would put them on there. And and this was a place of judgment. Bronze speaks of that judgment. And in every way, Jesus fulfilled this burnt offering. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is our ultimate sacrifice once for all. And Jesus fulfilled this burnt offering because bronze speaks of judgment. And Jesus became that, that, that bronze serpent on that, that pole, remember, that was in the wilderness. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man has got to be lifted up. And he became, on that cross, you have to understand what was happening. I, there's so much. I, I've got to make it really quick or I'd get too deep into this. But Adam, I, I can't go there because I'll take too long. But anyway, let's just go through actually what he went through. Okay, Adam and Eve in the garden, remember God said by the sweat of your brow that you're going to toil and labor and suffer. And Jesus took a crown of thorns that, that God told Adam. He said, the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. And he took that crown of thorns on his brow, the sweat of his brow, 
to break the power of that curse. Jesus died nude on the cross, just like Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit, the glory of God lifted off of them, and God had to wrap them in animal skins, but Jesus died nude. And the Bible shows us that Jesus was pierced in and, and, and his hands, and now we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. There's an authority in our hands. Jesus was pierced in his feet, and the Bible says everywhere the soles of our feet tread, God will give us victory. And Jesus was pierced in his side, and blood and water came out. And just like a birth, when, when a woman's given birth, there's blood and water that's present. And Jesus was paying for children to, to be, for us to become children of God. But also more than that, Jesus was also paying for a bride. Because when Adam was put to sleep, it was out of his side, out of his rib cage, that a rib was taken to, to produce a bride for him. And Jesus was pierced in the side. Why? Because God knew that through the cross that there was going to be a bride of Christ that was going to come forth in the earth. And we know that by his stripes we are healed. So the, the stripes that he took on his back that plowed his back open were for healing. And Jesus, you've got to understand, when, if you want to have power, preach the cross. The Bible says the cross is the power of God unto salvation. And a lot of people don't realize this in American Christianity. I'm not being critical, but they don't understand the word salvation means so it's the word sozo and it means save heal deliver protect preserve prosper make to do well all of that everything that jesus paid for is wrapped up in that word sozo and when jesus died on the cross he died for our sins to be forgiven he also was pierced for transgressions transgressions is rebellion these are people that that they know something's wrong and do it anyway that's a transgression and he was bruised for our iniquity. I can't get into iniquity tonight, but it's, a, it's an inner drive. But Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. And all of this went on him, that all of that sin, all that transgression, all that iniquity went on him. And the divine exchange is that it went on him so that it could be removed from us. And also the stripes, as they plowed his back wide open, stripes he took for healing, that all of that went on him so that now we can receive healing and also deliverance you know many people need to be delivered from different things they, they've got generational curses they got bondages they've got addictions they've got strongholds they got besetting sins whatever it is but jesus in galatians three thirteen, he hung on a cross and under the old testament law if you were hung on a tree you were cursed and jesus was hung on a tree so that he became a curse for us so what that all those works of the devil went on him so that we can be free and so that the blessings given to abraham come on us all of this is in the burnt offerings and and there was five burnt offerings there i'm five offerings rather the sin and guilt but it's interesting that the burnt offering was completely consumed what does the bible say about us i want you to be living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto me god is wanting us to be totally consumed with the fire of god and purified and deeply cleansed the peace offerings in Hebrew called the Shalamin. This was the, you know, you could draw near to God's presence. It's interesting how God has made a way for us to be able to draw near to him. Who are we that God Almighty would even care for a moment to spend time with us? Who are we that the God who created everything would be willing to put his presence among us and let his spirit live in us? But God has made a way that we could draw near to him. 
And of course, we know what's called the mincha, the um, um, grain offering, our service. All of this is worship. All of this is fulfilled in Christ. And then you have the laver. So the burnt offering, here's what it is. We go through the gate, we get saved. Well, we hear the gospel, rather. We hear the gospel. God begins to move. We come to the bronze altar. This is where we see what Jesus did. And this is where people are born again. They understand the cross. They accept what he did for them on the cross. And now the bronze laver is a big giant copper bowl of water where the priest would have to wash. And this is a place that's representing water immersion and also the washing of the water of the word of God. And then now you cross the first veil. I'm going from right to left. You go through the first veil and you come into the holy place. This is where you go from just being an outer court Christian to now being spirit-filled by the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And you begin to move into the deeper things of God. And the table of showbread has to do with the communion table. This is where there was bread and there was wine that was there. And the priest would come in and he could partake of that. But it, it was a place, the Bible calls it the table of showbread. It's called this in Hebrew, lechem panim. And the panim means faces. What it means is bread of faces. What God is trying to say to us is you can have a a face-to-face -face nearness, a nearness of God, a fellowship at this table. There's something about the communion table that I've already done a whole series on, I can't dwell on, but it's a very awesome, powerful thing where we come under the blood of the Lamb. And then to the left of that is the menorah, the seven-branch lampstand that, that you know, has all those knobs and, and, and bowls and buds in it. It's really an almond tree. But the certain number in it, number 66, because God knew that we would have a 66 book of the Bible one day. But Jesus said, I'm the branch, or I'm the vine, you're the branches. This is the menorah. The shining of the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold manifestation of the Spirit of God. This is where the Holy Spirit begins to move among us. That oil, that anointing is flowing. That fire of God is burning. There's power, there's gifts at work. It's awesome. And then you have the altar of incense. This is a golden altar that was probably around, uh, probably about up to most people's belly button area. And it was, it was, you know, it was gold. It was a big rectangle, but it had four horns, one on each corner and had a bowl in the middle. And a priest would come in and put a, a hot coal from the, the uh, bronze altar outside. He would take a hot piece of wood that was still burning it was red hot put that in there and he would take incense and sprinkle it on that and the incense would begin to burn and fill that whole place the incense was made of four parts it represents today for you and I praise worship prayer and intercession and in the in the book of revelation see you have to understand the old testament to understand the new it's not going to make sense but in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, there were, there were golden bowls of incense that were before the throne of God. And it says it's the prayers of the saints. The same pattern is there. And so in the heavenly tabernacle of heaven, where God dwells, okay, there's this incense of worship. You know what God wants? He wants our high praises. He wants our deep worship unto him. 
And I've, I've read the seven Hebrew words for praise and the three Hebrew words for worship before. But praise is singing and dancing and shouting and clapping and lifting your hands and being free. And God wants it. That's heaven's culture. I'm talking about heaven's culture tonight. And deep heartfelt worship and powerful prayer and intercession. All of this in spirit and in truth. This is, this is an incense that goes up into the throne of God. It's a powerful thing. And the, the four horns on this golden altar represent the authority, because horns speak of authority and power. They represent the authority and the power that we have to the north, south, east, and west to begin to bind the devil and begin to really call in the harvest and, and see the kingdom of God released. Does that make sense? That's where this comes from. Because whenever you begin to praise and worship, pray and intercede, and we come together in unity, and we get into the presence of God, and we're led by the Spirit, there's an authority in prayer to begin to go to the north, south, east, and west and begin to pray in the harvest to come in and, and the tides of darkness to be pushed back. And then after the altar of incense, you get past the second veil called the parchet. And this was the veil that, that, that hid away the Ark of the Covenant. And the, the high priest could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. But it's interesting that when Jesus died, that veil was ripped. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God walked with them in the cool of the day. God wanted them to, to fellowship with him. But when they sinned, that fellowship was broken. Now, when Jesus died, what happened? The veil was ripped. Now there can be relationship. And God wants us to dwell in his presence. The ark is a picture of the throne of God Almighty. The two um, cherub that are on each side um, represent those four living creatures that are around the throne. And it's the throne of God. And so whenever you're coming in, the Holy of Holies is where God's presence is. It's where we meet with him. And so God told Moses to take things that are heavenly and to replicate them on the earth. But you have to understand what Israel had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. And so now in Christ, there's this tabernacle pattern where we're going to preach the pure gospel and bring people to the cross and preach the cross. And there's, there's going to be water immersion and things like that to deeply consecrate people. But now we're dealing with believers. So when we come together as believers, what are we doing? We come together first and foremost, we have to come through the blood. That's the table of showbread. And then we welcome the Holy Spirit to begin to move in power. And the Holy Spirit comes among us and he begins to move and it's awesome. And then what? We begin praise and worship, prayer and intercession, the incense that goes up into God's throne. And then we begin to move into his manifest presence, the throne room. This is the pattern. This is the pattern you can have in your own personal prayer life. And it's the pattern that a church can have if they want it. And also the priestly garments that are underneath that. <clears throat> I'm talking about heaven's culture. You see, a lot of people, you talk about a priest, and they start thinking about a Catholic priest or a Greek Orthodox priest or maybe like an Anglican, and they start picturing certain things in their mind, and they don't understand heaven's culture. So the priesthood of the Bible as you can look at these garments, there was a layer of white. The turban is, is a, a purity in your thought life. The, the robe that went over that was pure, that's the robe of righteousness. And underneath, you can't see it, but underneath there was white like pajama bottoms. The Bible said covered their shameful nakedness because if they approached God without those white pajama bottoms on, they could die. 
And so God kind of displays his feelings here about nudity and people running around naked all over the place, okay? Let's just go ahead and throw that out there. I'm just telling you God's not in favor of it. All right, so the white garments that covered them, these are the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. And the breeches, those pajama bottoms, to put them on, you would have to put them down to the ground and then pull them up. And Jesus came down to the earth and was raised up on a cross. This is the garments of salvation. And in the book of Revelation, you read how there were white garments given to people. So these are the garments of like purity, but then you have, look at the blue. The blue layer had bells and pomegranates on the bottom. So when they walked, you could hear these bells chiming. It had a reinforced area right here around the neck that was really thick. So you could not easily reach up and tear it. This represents the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So the, the white layers is salvation. You accept Christ as your Savior. But the blue represent the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. Luke 24.49 says, go wait in Jerusalem till you be clothed with power from on high. This is a clothing of power. Blue speaking of coming down from heaven. When you're clothed with power, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, what happens? The fruit of the Spirit becomes more evident. The bells, the gifts of the Spirit begin to be in operation. This was the garment that allowed you access into the holy place. And then you had, after the blue layer, you have a golden layer. The golden layer speaks of the glory of God, his manifest presence. And you'll see that there was a breastplate there over his heart of the 12 tribes of Israel. God wants to put his, his burden on our hearts to pray for his people. We're called to be a royal priesthood. So now this is fulfilled in Christ that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're clothed with garments of salvation and in a robe of righteousness. But also God's wanting us to be clothed with power to begin to be able to do what Jesus did in the earth. To lay hands on the sick and they recover to drive out the demonic and the function in the gifts of the spirit and power and the clothing of the glory of God, the gold, that we can have the glory, his manifest presence in our midst. You talk about a culture shock. Some people in the body don't even know what the glory of God is. Let's go ahead and just keep going with it. How about that? And so the next thing I'll mention under Hebrew roots is just some things that, that God has brought into the earth. God, God has a culture. Heaven has a culture. You know, and let me say this. This is really important that you understand where I'm coming from with this. Everybody give me your best ear for a moment. When Jesus died on the cross, the thief that, that accepted him was with him in paradise he didn't have to do anything other than put his faith in Christ we're not talking about anything workspace but once you have a relationship see my wife and I we're in a covenant relationship in marriage it's a covenant relationship now there's things that I know that that she likes and and things that we could in, you know do together I could uh, I know what she likes. So I could take her out and do certain things that would make her happy. There's certain things I could buy her, etc., and do for her. And 
But whether I do that or not, we're still in a covenant relationship. But I'll do things for her because I love her, not because I have to. We're still in a covenant relationship whether I do or don't, but I do things that please her because I love her. Is this making sense? Because I'm going somewhere with this. See, heaven's culture is you in Christianity. We have a relationship. We have a covenant with God. But it's our responsibility to begin to find out what pleases God. Do we want to do things that please him? It's not going to necessarily take away from the covenant per se, but, but do we want to do things? If we know something pleases him, I'm going to give you some examples. Here's something that I believe just simply pleases God. Look in the notes under Hebrew roots. The Sabbath is number one. Genesis 2, verse 1. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Then he blessed the seventh day and sanctified him, because in it he rested from all of his work work with God work which God had created and made so this was something in creation I would say was quite a bit before the law was ever given given would anybody disagree with that you know this was obviously way before any type of law there's a lot of times people say what's under law and not necessarily this isn't but I do believe this let me read Isaiah 58 13 if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call it a Sabbath of delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desist, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride. Look at the promises. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. You know what that is? He's saying I'll make you the head, not the tail. I will feed you, I will feed you with the inheritance of Jacob, your father. You know what that's saying? You're going to have prosperity and abundance. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But it says first, let me go back to this in verse 14, then you will take delight in the Lord. That can translate this way. You will know the joy of the Lord or you will enjoy your life. So this is, let me, just like I was talking about with my wife, I don't have to do that to make us be in a covenant. I don't have to do something for her. I don't believe that anybody has to keep a Sabbath that's a Christian. I really don't. But I do believe, and y'all hear me, I do believe that it pleases the Lord. That's all I'm saying. I don't say we have to do it because I don't believe that you do, actually. I don't think it has anything to do with your salvation. But I do believe it pleases him. And because I love him, not out of religion. As a matter of fact, the Sabbath is probably the most unreligious thing you could possibly do. It is just a day to relax and have fun. Does that sound religious? I mean, think about this. God is saying, I want you to have a day where you, you don't work. You just relax and have fun with your family. That's not religious. But I do believe, with all my heart, I know there's some people out there that won't like it, but I really believe it just simply pleases him. That's all. And so me and my family, we have a day that we set aside as a Sabbath day. 
And another thing that's really interesting, I'm talking about heaven's culture. Is it okay I just talk about heaven's culture for a minute? Things that are important to God? All right. There are certain things that God has been doing. And if you read Genesis' account, you, the creation, it says he created the sun and the moon for signs and for seasons. How many have read that before in creation? You have to understand that signs is the Hebrew word ot. And it means, the word oat means a sign. And just like a sign will be like a billboard, something that, that displays, something that speaks. God, Jesus said this, he said, before the coming of the Son of Man, there would be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. So God created these to be a signs. But the word for seasons is the word moed, the moedim. And it's translated everywhere else in the Bible as festival. That's the word that's used for the feast of the Lord. Isn't that crazy? So God in creation said, I've put the sun and the moon there to be a sign, but also for seasons or for festivals. And the closest translation to the word Moedim that we have from Hebrew to English would be this, divine appointments. Where God said he would meet with his people. And also, I'll get to it here later, but they're called holy convocations, which means like a dress rehearsal, which I'll explain here in a moment. But it's interesting because God had to, had to get Egypt out of Israel. I'm talking about heaven's culture. And when Egypt, I'm sorry, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they had lived there for 400 years. America's only 241 years old, just to give you an idea. They, they lived there for 400 years. So the Egyptian culture, the atmosphere of Egypt, the culture of Egypt had gotten so deep down in them, whenever they came out of Egypt, God had to begin to systematically get that out of them and give them something that is a new culture for them. In Egypt, they would have been around all of the pagan celebrations the different festivals to the egyptian demon gods and and they saw the way egypt would worship idols and different things that went on the witchcraft and god brought them out and he was he was getting rid of all that but he was replacing it and one of the things you read about in the bible it's really interesting <clears throat> when israel came out of egypt egypt's big thing was the sun you guys probably know what I'm talking about. Remember, they worshiped that, that god, Ra, which was the sun god. Well, God brought them out of Egypt, and, and one of the first things he did in Exodus 12, 12, ones, he said, this month, he's talking about the month of Nisan, will be the beginning of months to you. It will be the first month of your year. And God was sanctifying. Now he was getting them off of a solar uh, Gentile calendar, and he was giving them um, a lunar calendar, the Hebrew calendar. And so every turn, okay, every time, those that are familiar with the moon, every time that the moon goes completely black and then you start seeing a crescent appear, this is called a new moon. Every time that that happens, this is the beginning of a new Hebrew month. And so God wanted them to sanctify the new moon in that they would have a feast and a celebration at the beginning of the month to celebrate the Lord but to bless the coming month in front of them. 
It was like a first fruits of the month. And to this day, it's called Rosh Kadesh, the head of the month. And then God gave, through Israel, gave the feast days. This is interesting because I'm not trying to be mean when I use the word ignorance, but it's rampant. And, and people very ignorantly say, well, these are something to do with Israel. I beg to pardon, but look at this right here. Leviticus 23 verse 2 says this. Um, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed times. Everybody say, the Lord's. I'm talking about heaven's culture. God has had, you know, we all have things like birthdays. You know, we have anniversaries. We have things like, you know, this week, we have Labor Day. We also have Memorial Day. We have the 4th of July here in America. We all have things that are dates that are important to us that we keep. These are dates that are important to the Lord that he has kept, that he is keeping now. And hear what I'm going to say, because I can prove this in the Bible, will be kept in the millennial reign of Christ and on into eternity. These are not temporary. These are eternal. All right, so the feast days, it says Leviticus 23, 2, the Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations my appointed times he didn't say israel's he said mine for for six days work may be done but on the seventh it's a sabbath of complete rest a holy convocation you shall not do any work is the sabbath to the lord in your dwellings and then he goes on to give the seven major feasts now the word here is used holy convocations which means a dress rehearsal how many of you guys have ever been a part of a play in your entire life or I could say a part of a wedding. You had to come for the rehearsal. You had to come for the dress rehearsal. What's interesting, I'll just use one real quick and then move off this. But for 1,500 years, the nation of Israel, every Passover, would kill a lamb. And they would go through a certain dress rehearsal. So that in the fullness of time on passover not the day before not the day after on passover day that the lamb of god would be sacrificed on that day all those 1500 years was a dress rehearsal dress rehearsal until jesus came and fulfilled it in every way jesus died as the lamb of god on passover was buried in the tomb during the feast of unleavened bread and raised from the dead on first fruits isn't that amazing Jesus fulfilled these spring feasts perfectly in every way. But every year that they were going through this, it was a dress rehearsal until he came and fulfilled it. And to this day, you know, we have a, a Passover meal here every year. And I love it because we're able to sit together and go through a meal together and we remember what Jesus did at the cross. Everything about you guys have been, everything about it is, is the the glory of Christ and, and him being our lamb and how his blood is over our lives. It's awesome. But it's always been a dress rehearsal. All right. And so just as the spring feasts were fulfilled and we know on Shavuot, which is called Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on that day. Not the day before, not the day after, on that day. And the, the people of God were baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and the church was birthed. But here's the interesting thing. The fall feasts have not been fulfilled. 
And so the first of the fall feast is Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. So every year, there's the blasting of the shofar that takes place on the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, most places, it's blasted a hundred times. It's a dress rehearsal. Do you understand that when Jesus comes in Thessalonians, it says he's going to come with the shout of an archangel. There's going to be the blast of the shofar. The dead in Christ will rise. Those alive and remain will be caught up with him to meet him in the air. Every year at Yom Teruah, whenever people are blasting the shofar, it's a dress rehearsal of the rapture. Yom Kippur is a dress rehearsal for the seven-year tribulation. And tabernacles is a holy convocation, a dress rehearsal for when Jesus comes to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. I'm talking about heaven's culture. See, these things are important to God. He said, these are my appointed times, my feasts. I'm giving them to the earth so that you can learn, so that you can meet with me at these times and you can learn my ways, learn what pleases me. A lot of people have a very major culture shock. All right, I need to move quickly now. The Talit, but what people got to understand is this. When Constantine came to power, he was a Roman and he didn't like the Jews. And for 300 years, the early church honored the, the Hebrew roots of the faith. It was very Jewish in many ways. Um, you know, they kept the feast, etc. But when, when Constantine came to power and the Romans started the Roman Catholic um, institution, a system of religion, they began to really persecute the church. It went underground, but they hated the Hebrew roots and they deliberately, systematically did away with them. there was never God's intention but heaven must receive Jesus until the restoration of all things and God is restoring it back all right so the tallit which is a, a prayer shawl this is really interesting I you know I could stop on any of these points and preach a whole sermon I'm just reading through this very quickly but speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make them for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations that they'll put tassel, tassels on each corner a cord of blue it will be a tassel for you to look and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do, uh, do follow after them with all your heart that you not play the harlot so that you may remember to do all the commandments and to be holy unto the Lord. Now it's interesting because this was an outer garment obviously that Jesus wore and this tallit if you will in Acts 19.11 look at this God performed extraordinary miracles through Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons that were carried off of his body to the sick uh, diseases left him evil spirits went out so there's something about a transference of anointing you guys have experienced that and I've seen I've heard many stories and seen for myself times where you know somebody prayed over a handkerchief or whatever and sent it back and somebody was healed it's awesome but there's something about an anointing that can get into a tallit a pershaw in mark 6 56 it says about Jesus, wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces, imploring him that he might just, they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. That's the hem where the tassel was of his talib. And as many as touched it were cured. Isn't that something? And if you do a study on it, it's really interesting because there was a time where there was a dead girl and Jesus said, Talit Kuma and it meant little girl arise but people have deduced from that he used the word Talit and many have felt like he took his 
his outer garment, his tallit off, which would have been more like a tunic, and laid it on her, and then she was raised from the dead. When the woman with the issue of blood came up behind Jesus and reached up and grabbed the corner of his garment, she grabbed his tallit. When Jesus comes, and there's going to be this garment and down his thigh because he's riding a horse it says king of kings and lord of lords they don't understand that this is a tallit that he's wearing so there's a lot to this as a matter of fact an interesting study that the roman guards remember they cast lots for jesus's outer garment it was seamless and they they probably had heard about all the miracles that had happened with it i wonder where that ended up by the way think about that but they cast lots they didn't want to rip it but it was, I guarantee you, it was his tallit. And one more thing about that, the Apostle Paul, a lot of Bible scholars think that, you know, Paul was a tent maker. The word tallit means little tent. And a lot of people wondered, a lot of Bible scholars have, have just conjectured, but say, you know, I wonder if Paul being a Pharisee and being, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles, if he really wasn't making these, these prayer shawls. All right, I'm talking about heaven's culture. The shofar, Exodus 19, 19, as the shofar of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. So the, the shofar is something that is connected with the voice of God, is something that's going to be at the coming of Christ. Um, Gideon's victory was at a shofar blast. The walls of Jericho came down at a shofar blast. And even historically, um, the Maccabees, when they conquered, they would, they would go to war as priestly warriors blasting the shofar. And God gave them victory, supernatural victory. Also, the mezuzah. And most people are familiar with this. The, it's a little scroll that has portions of the Bible written into it in Hebrew and rolled up and stuck on a doorpost. A mezuzah just means doorpost. But I'll tell you something. Most Christians that are really sincere about the Lord, they want their homes to be dedicated to the Lord. How many feel that way? You want your home to be dedicated to God. You want it to be holy ground. You want it to be off limits to anything of the devil. You want it to be a place where God's peace and presence dwells. Well, the message of the mezuzah is just simply that this is a place that is dedicated unto God. This is holy ground. Um, demonic forces are not welcome here. You're not allowed to trespass here. This is ground that is holy. And so I'm talking about heaven's culture, but there's a a saying called the Mikdash Mayat that a little sanctuary, God's wanting our homes to be a place where, where the word of God is, is studied and where there's worship and prayer and the presence of God dwells, a place that is spiritually cleansed and dedicated unto him. All right, I'm talking about heaven's culture. Is everybody following me? Last thing, a deep consecration. Now, this is definitely something that has been stolen from the body of Christ. A deep consecration unto God. Now I want to close with this. Exodus 29 verse 1. Now what did Peter say? He said you and I are a royal priesthood. So we are now priest unto God. And we have to go back into the Bible and understand what a priest is. What did a priest do? Offered up sacrifices. Now we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord that please him. But look at what had to happen to the priest. Exodus 29, starting verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them. God was telling Moses, for Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me, number one,
take a young bull and two rams without blemish, Moses had to shed blood for the priest. They had to be washed and cleansed, so to speak, through the cleansing of blood. Not that they were covered in blood, but the blood was shed on their behalf. And whenever that blood was shed, and Moses did sprinkle it on them, by the way, but that blood was what cleansed them. Right now, today, as Christians, you and I are forgiven and cleansed because of the blood of Jesus. And when we come together and take Holy Communion, we take time to examine ourselves and get washed and covered in the blood of the Lamb. It is a powerful thing. All right. And the Bible says, secondly, then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. They, were, they had to go through an immersion in water. This was a deep consecration. There's a lot more to water immersion than what a lot of Christians understand. Verse 7. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him with oil. So there were three things that Moses had to do to the priest to cleanse them. They had to be cleansed by blood. They had to be water immersed and cleansed through the water. And they had to be anointed with oil. Those three things is what God used to deeply consecrate the priesthood. So, so what? So they could go in and minister unto him. So that they could offer up sacrifices that please him and so today in the body of Christ as this is fulfilled in Christ God has given us the communion table that came out of Passover out of a Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples in the meal he instituted Holy Communion and that's a powerful way to apply the blood over your life but the blood is applied by faith so it can be applied you don't have to take communion but the blood of Jesus is applied by faith. But I do believe communion is a very powerful way that we can apply the blood to our lives. Now, interesting about communion. Remember when Israel had that Passover meal and they came out of Egypt? Psalm 105, 37, here in your notes says this. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. You know what God is saying? Whenever the children of Israel... They had served as slaves all those years. You know as well as I do they, that many of them were sick. They had health problems because they were beaten and they were having to work so hard out in that sun every day. And they were dirt poor because they were slaves. But whenever they came around that Passover lamb, something happened spiritually to them to where the Bible says there was not one sick or feeble among them. They were healed. And not only that, but as they were leaving Egypt, gave them their wealth they plundered egypt what does the bible say i desire that you be in health and prosper as your souls prosper i believe the communion table has something about it where we we're reverencing jesus we're reverencing the cross and we're we're remembering what he paid for us to have and we unify together and it's a worshipful thing it's a powerful thing but i believe it's releasing health in people and it's making a way spiritually somehow for prosperity in their life. All right, the anointing with oil. Remember, I'm talking about heaven's culture. You know what's sad? How many people have gone to churches in the past for many years and either never took communion there or it was extremely, extremely rare? How many would say that that's happened? 
the communion table should be something that's common and happening regularly also the anointing with oil mark 6 13 jesus sent out the 70 remember the, the story that these went out and the bible says that they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them isn't that something this was so common you have to understand that these these things i'm talking about were so common in this culture this hebrew culture that people could go through the streets of israel with little vials of oil and say give us your sick and they would anoint and pray from this was so common in their culture that it wasn't something abnormal and many people were getting healed what's sad is is that there's too many cultures and too many atmospheres in the body of christ that's not conducive for miracles it should be common that that people are getting right with god it should be common that that we're seeing sinners really repent it should also be common that people are being healed and it should be very common that people are being delivered to demons we've seen many people delivered from demons and it's a very powerful thing and let me tell you it sends a message to people whenever they see demonized people getting delivered from demons it shows christ's victory over the devil it's a powerful thing and look in your notes james 5 14 if any is sick among you he must call upon the elders of the church and they'll pray for him what anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he's committing sins they'll be forgiven this should be common in our churches the communion table should be common the act of anointing people with oil should be common it is a way that god is really cleansing people and releasing healing into people and also the water immersion too many people now i'm closing with this so give me your best ear okay too many people don't understand the power of water baptism and i believe that the devil has stolen many things from the church and this is one of them the power of water immersion and let me say this in first corinthians 10 if you're taking notes read that because the bible says that the children of israel were baptized through the red sea into moses and that's an awesome scripture because the same waters that parted the red sea parted the children of israel as a nation went through the red sea and the bible says that they were baptized into moses through that sea that same water that baptized them was the same water that closed behind them and destroyed their enemies that was trying to chase them and also it formed a chasm it separated them from egypt it separated them from their past i believe that water baptism is an awesome powerful thing that's being neglected you know what the concept of it being something that's that's rare or something that okay if somebody accepts christ especially when they're young in churches they may do that once it's a once in a lifetime thing it has to do with them getting saved that whole concept goes back to roman catholicism are y'all hearing what i'm saying the hebrew roots you gotta understand water immersion was very common 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 among the hebrew people in jesus's day devout jews even to this day will immerse in water every week before sabbath to consecrate themselves this is i'm just telling you how common it is 
to consecrate themselves for the Sabbath. And every feast time that comes, these high feast times, there were three times a year that all the Jewish men were required to come to the temple. And to this day, you can go there in Israel, and there's, there's these mikveh pools with little steps that go down into them all around where people were able to go to the temple at, before Passover, before Pentecost, before Tabernacles, and they could walk down those steps and self-immerse and consecrate themselves. So with that in mind, I want you to read these scriptures. In John 13, 5, Jesus, in context here, is having a Passover meal with his disciples. They're going through the Passover. You guys have been through this with me. They have the four cups. They, they've, you know, the, the afikoman bread is wrapped and hidden away. All of this is there. And so now they have this Passover meal. They're going through it. And Jesus takes water and pours it into a basin. And he takes his outer garment off and begins to kneel before the disciples and begins to pour this water over their feet and wash their feet. And so many people in the church world miss, I understand he's being a humble servant. We all get that. But they miss the greater picture here. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them off with a towel, which he girded. And so he came to Peter and said, Lord, Peter said, do you wash my feet? And we know the story. Jesus, Jesus said, if, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. And he said, well, then wash my, my head, my hands, and the rest of me then, you know. But see, what you have to understand is this. We are a royal priesthood. Everybody say priesthood. For Aaron's, the priesthood under Aaron, they had to on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement to be able to go into the presence of God. They had to self-immerse in water and they also had to wash their hands and their feet. And so this is what has happened before this. When all the children of Israel came to Jerusalem at Passover, all of the men went to the temple and they immersed in water. This was part of what they did. They self-immersed in water to be, you know, cleansed before the Lord. And whenever they sat down that night with Jesus at the Passover meal, one of the first things that's done at the Passover meal is that everybody's hands is washed to be cleansed before the Lord because you're eating something in, in a way that's holy unto the Lord. You guys have been here and done this with me. You know what I'm talking about. And so when Jesus knelt down and washed their feet, he wasn't just being a humble servant, but he also was doing what the priesthood they, they had already immersed and they had already washed their hands jesus was just finishing this and washing their feet he was getting them ready for pentecost where the spirit of god was going to come and they were going to have a holy of holies experience for them to be able to go into the manifest presence of god is this making sense tonight in exodus 30 19 aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and feet from it and when they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash their water so they not die. So Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full of a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That's the blood and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is in the New Testament. What God's trying to say is what Israel had in the natural we have in the spiritual. We have the fullness in Christ. But the sad thing is, too many people are ignorant. And here's the result, 2 Timothy 2.20. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, 
he will be a vessel of honor sanctified useful to the master prepared for every good work and so God is wanting a people that's deeply consecrated unto him in the same way that God consecrated the priesthood under Aaron through the blood through the anointing with oil through waters of immersion the same pattern is for us today as Christians that there is a cleansing of blood there's a cleansing of the water and there's a cleansing of the oil and here's the importance of that at all times that we need to be aware of these things now is the time because we're so close to the coming of the Lord and Jesus is coming for a bride without spot or blemish he's coming for a bride that's made herself ready wise virgins with extra oil but he's looking for purity in his bride and God's wanting to cleanse us I gave you a diagram I don't have time to get into it but if you're interested in the Hebrew months and the different cycles you can look on that and you'll see that the, the first rains the early rains actually come in the fall and prepare the soil for planting and then the latter rains are the great outpouring rains the really strong rains that that water the seed and bring the harvest and symbolically the early rains were the early church the spring feast and symbolically we're living in the days of the fall feast and the latter rain the great outpouring of holy spirit on all flesh but god said the former and the latter rains would come together and i believe we're living in a time when the former and the latter rains are going to come together and god's going to give us the greatest outpouring of his spirit the world has ever seen and it's going to usher in the coming of the lord i believe that all right this is heaven's culture hopefully you got all of it but these are things that god has given us tonight to really uh teach us you know what pleases the lord what what are his ways what are things that are important to him and so it, it made me think as i was going through this you know we have different aspects in my, my family you know bloodline but one one thing that's on my father's side is that of native american even though i love them but i have renounced any any of the native american practices that's you know because it's pagan but i've learned what pleases the lord and i want to be a part of heaven's culture does this make sense it really grieved me deeply i saw a, a pbs special or whatever about this guy was looking into different faiths and it was so sad because people have grown up their whole life I saw people grip their whole life in Islam. All they've ever known is Islam. All they've ever known is the culture of death and, and violence and all that goes along with Islam. They claim it's peaceful, and I, I seriously doubt that, to be honest. But there's a lot of things about it that's so demonic and satanic, and, but that's all they've ever known. And they go to Mecca, and they walk around this stone and worship it. And I, and I was grieved because there were even people in Africa that, um, had come from new york and other places that wanted to get back to their roots of their family ancestry and we're going back to africa and we're being going through rituals to connect them with their their ancestors and it was witchcraft and it, it just made me sad and i, and I saw in india that the people that had grown up in that culture and it, it's demonic and what i'm trying to get at is this whatever your background is whatever your culture was that's what you were that's what it was before christ but now we're we're coming into a kingdom and we're coming into what we need to start understanding heaven's culture what pleases god about the things of god and to adopt his ways and i believe this sermon is you know bore that out in many ways 
But anyway, Lord, we thank you for this tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the awesome power of your spirit as we'll pray for people. And just, I pray tonight that you'll touch people mightily. But Lord, thank you for heaven's culture. We want to.